Hey everyone, it's me, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, just to say that uh, I'm from the future. This is not the Fraser that's in the rest of the podcast because uh, he's gone and I'm currently editing the podcast because he exists in the past. But uh, I should just say that throughout this podcast, I noticed my voice does sound a little bit uh, off and essentially that's because I haven't really spoken to anyone all day and so my voice sounds a little bit weird because... At the time that I was recording this, it was basically the first time I'd spoken all day. So, sorry about that. <laughs> and I should also just say that throughout uh, this entire episode, really, I am there is a diagram that's associated with it. Uh, the diagram is in the thumbnail of the podcast, but if that's too small, uh, it will also be on uh, the Unraveling blog. So, if you go to unravelingocd.blogspot.com, it should be there and it'll be the first thing that comes up. Uh, and I should also just say as well that... Um, even if you know if you can't access the diagram on Blogspot or, or, or you know whatever, uh, it's it's not necessary. You can still follow what I'm saying. I think I hope uh, broadly without looking at the diagram. But it's just if you want it, it's there to follow along to what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, um, do enjoy. Uh, let's here uh, here here we go. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Unraveling. My name is Fraser and I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I need a better intro. Um, that was never meant to be the intro. That's just kind of what I got stuck saying. I said it in the first one and then I was like, oh, I should probably keep this consistent. And now I feel like I'm locked in, but I really, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, so I put this out on Instagram, the topic for today, because I was considering doing it on identity and OCD. But then I remember that last week I promised to do an episode on the different kinds of OCD. And so I put, let people vote on that on Instagram and it was pretty much 50-50. So it's kind of... <laughs> Um, yeah, tricky. But then I kind of was thinking about it and I realized that it's probably necessary to cover in more detail the way um, someone with OCD gets trapped into their obsessive um, compulsive cycle, which is a, you know, there's, there's actually a way you can formulate OCD. There's a diagram that's associated with it. It has a, it has a kind of a shape. And if you look at the thumbnail of this episode, um, it might be very small. I'm sorry if it is. Hopefully, if you know, if you're watching on Spotify, you might be able to. If you're watching on your if listening on your phone, I should say, you can, um, you know, lock your phone and then click in. I don't know, maybe it'll come up. But uh, the, the diagram will also go on Instagram as well. So today, I'm going to be talking about different kinds of OCD, but mainly I'm going to be going through this diagram as a way of covering that topic. Because the, well, the motivation for that is that at its core, OCD kind of predictably almost always follows the exact same pattern regardless of what your obsession or compulsion may be so there's a couple of different kinds of OCD that we're going to be talking about today and most of this information that I'll be giving you is going to be coming from either my own experiences or OCD UK so if you go to ocduk.org there is a page there if you go to about OCD there's also a link on that page called Types of OCD, or if you just Google Types of OCD, OCD UK, uh, that's where all this information, or some of this information, the majority of it anyway, will be coming from. And they categorize OCD into five kind of main categories. Um, and I've actually, I've seen, I think broadly as well from other websites, that's kind of, that's kind of the standard, but they've got here checking, and what's called contamination, which we've covered quite a lot because that's the OCD that I have, <laughs> well, one of them anyway. And then there's symmetry and ordering, and then there's ruminations and intrusive thoughts. Well, and I guess that's what used to be called pure OCD, and I'll um, a bit more on that later. And then um, hoarding. Hoarding is contentious, I should just quickly say. Um, 
some aspects of hoarding are no longer considered a part of OCD and has actually kind of considered its own condition um, with its own, you know, treatment and stuff. But some specific sort of obsessive concerns that people have will lead them to uh, adopting hoarding as a compulsive behavior. So that's probably why it's on there. But it's worth noting that in theory, there would be kind of infinite many different types of OCD because it depends ultimately on what the person is obsessed with um I think the reason these five uh categories have been put out there is because these are the five kind of most common compulsions that people enact but obviously you know there's that's that explains one of the letters in OCD (laughs) namely the C but obviously people are obsessed with you know many different things they have obsessive worries about a lot of different conditions and or different outcomes and and whatever um some people have you know for example religious ocds about you know obsessions about offending their god or sexual ocds about you know obsessively being concerned that they might be secretly of a different sexual orientation and you know that can obviously have impacts on their life or you know you can have intrusive thoughts that you might kill someone or you know do something else you know what it can be it can be really anything but insofar as it can be anything there are there is a general kind of shape that OCD does have which is kind of you can map it onto almost uh, any type of OCD so I am going to be as promised talking about different types of OCD but at the same time I'm also going to be looking at this diagram to show how they all fit into that cycle so if you can't see the diagram uh, because you can't, you know, you, I don't know, you might be in the bath <laughs> listening to this. Don't worry, um, because I'll be hopefully going into enough detail that yeah, I don't think you'll really need to. But essentially, for anyone who can't see it, it's a circle, as one might expect, <laughs> um, given that this is a uh, mental disorder all about, you know, obsessively repeating compulsions. So, of course, it makes sense that the diagram would also be a circle. So let's get started, shall we? So let's take what, what would be a good form of OCD to start with. Okay, let's take. Um, let's start with a sexual obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, sometimes you get this is seen as um, HOCD is uh, what is one of the um, what are they called acronyms that people use for this because in that used to stand for homosexuality OCD. Because one of the most common forms that uh, sexual OCDs can take is that uh, the person suffering from it will have the intrusive thought that they're actually gay, uh, even though they are uh, ostensibly straight. The way a lot of people, I think, don't like HOCD anymore as the acronym because there have been cases where uh, people who are gay start experiencing obsessive concerns that they might be straight. So, you know, it can go the other way. Um, so that's why that, that acronym isn't always preferred, but regardless, sexual OCDs are quite common. Um, so that's, I guess the first type that we'll be exploring today. Uh, so yeah, and it just revolves around, um, sufferers sexual orientation. So, and in fact, um, OCD UK suggests, um, as an alternative acronym to HOCD, uh, SOOCD as in sexual orientation OCD, because it's much more helpful. So let's turn to our diagram. Uh, again, yeah. So if you want to look at the thumbnail for this um, podcast, and it should be there. And if that's too small or you can't see it, then you know, just follow what I'm saying or Google it for yourself. But the first kind of step on the diagram that I've got drawn out here is called the trigger stage. So 
something in the environment will trigger um, an intrusive thought for the sufferer. So in this case, if we're looking at, say, a sexual orientation OCD, the trigger might be they, uh, I don't know, uh, let's take, for example, a heterosexual woman. She's out and about and she sees on the street or, I don't know, at a bar or whatever, a woman who is demonstrably attractive. This, if she has, if the woman in question has a sexual orientation, OCD, could be a trigger that will trigger an intrusive thought. And that intrusive thought might be something like, am I gay or am I attracted to that woman Am I lying to my partner about my sexuality? Blah, blah, blah. Now, of course, were this person in question not suffering from OCD, those thoughts would be able to enter their mind and then exit their mind with, without causing them any kind of distress or setting them on this vicious cycle of OCD. But because of the nature of OCD, what happens is when we've a trigger has brought on an intrusive thought, we tend to ascribe... Uh, much greater significance to those thoughts than someone without OCD. So the first step on our diagram is trigger, which leads us to intrusive thoughts, and then it goes to the third step, and this is where it jumps onto the circle. And so if you look at the diagram, you'll see that there's a sort of a flow chart that moves downwards from trigger to intrusive thoughts to beliefs, and then that belief becomes, if you like, the first point on a circle, which will then go round and round and round. So where it says belief, what it really, what that stage in the diagram means is that people with OCD believe that their thoughts have significance and that they will re be revealing something about their personality. So let's say you have an intrusive thought um, of that, you know, that you might be gay or an intrusive thought that... Uh, intrusive image that goes against your sexual orientation for most people these thoughts would be able to kind of enter and exit as I said but then because you've got OCD you are going to ascribe more significance to that thought than is needed and you're going to think it must be true because you've thought it or it must you know be revealing of your character in some way and so you sort of end up giving your intrusive thoughts a kind of magical significance in your head and then this leads us just one step around on the circle to the step that says feelings. So at this stage, you're going to start negatively associating with those beliefs about your thoughts. So, for example, if you are a straight woman who is in a heterosexual relationship with a man, and then you have a thought that you might secretly be a lesbian, it doesn't, of course, it doesn't, that thought alone does not make it true. But because you have OCD, you believe that the thought does make it true. And so you start to feel negatively about this because if you, of course, if you are gay and you're in a straight relationship, you're going to presumably have to end the relationship with your boyfriend and that would be very upsetting. So you start to feel quite negative and you feel anxious or, you know, you might be dizzy or your heart's racing or whatever uh, form it takes for you because it'll, of course, be different from person to person. And, of course, you could just as easily imagine a scenario which is the other way around, um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, that it doesn't obviously discriminate towards straight people. You could quite easily have a scenario where um, a gay woman sees a man who she finds attractive and then this leads her to having uh, an intrusive thought about that person, which then makes her doubt her sexual orientation, which could be upsetting because it might mean that she has to make some, you know, uh, pretty 
big lifestyle changes. Um, and, it, and the reason I say that is because I want to emphasize again that this is not. Um, it's it's best not to think of it as a what it used to be referred to as homosexuality OCD because it does work the other way just as well. And um, also, it's it's good to emphasize that because again, it's this isn't a case of sort of homophobia or heterophobia. It's a case of the associated fears that might go with having to make these enormous lifestyle changes can be very upsetting for people. I, I think that's my take from from what I've seen about it. So these feelings will give rise to the next stage in the circle, which says behavioral urges. So because you feel anxious or, you know, trapped or afraid of the consequences of your thoughts or, you know, whatever, you are going to get the urge to relieve that feeling, right? Because obviously, if let's say, you know, you're out, like I said, and you've had a thought that contradicts your sexual orientation, then of course you're going to be um, find that distressing. And so when you feel distressed, you're going to want to do something that takes that distress away. So you get the urge, the behavioral urge, to enact something that will take away this feeling of anxiety. And you can probably by now you can see where this is going because the next step on the diagram is the compulsion. <laughs> um, and that's probably... That was probably quite obvious, I think, for most people that that's where that was going. <laughs> the, um, that, of course, if you feel distressed and you feel that you want to get rid of that distress, then you are going to do something to take it away. And so that's your compulsion. And so a compulsion for someone with a sexual orientation OCD might be something like, uh, well, they'd be seeking to sort of prove to themselves that they didn't have sexual feelings for people of the same uh, sex as them. So they would be, uh, I don't know, performing checks for arousal when in the presence of uh, someone who is of the same gender as them, or they would be um, ruminating compulsively over the, you know, dwelling over the thought that they might be gay and investigating that thought obsessively over and over and over in their head. Um, Because obsessive rumination itself is actually a compulsion, and that might seem um, strange that an obsession could also be both the obsession and the compulsion but it can be because if you're consistently dwelling on a thought and playing it out over and over and over and over and over again in your head what you're essentially doing is you're ruminating and you're sitting with that thought but not in a way that you know is going to help you in the long run you're essentially you're just sort of stuck on it because you're trying to look for a way out from the anxiety that it's bringing you so those are yeah those would be two examples of a compulsion for a sexual orientation OCD, um, and so these compulsions, well, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to successfully diminish the anxiety that the intrusive thought brought into you, in which case you're going to move to the next stage in the circle, which is temporary relief. So so either. You've, you've performed your compulsions, you, you've out and about, you're a straight woman, and you've seen another straight woman, and for a, a brief second you think, perhaps I'm gay. And that's made you feel anxious because, for you know, according to what you believed about yourself, you aren't gay, in which case you've had a behavioural urge to test that hypothesis, and then you've 
performed a compulsion, which is to check to see if you're aroused when you're talking to this woman. And so if that compulsion has succeeded in relieving your anxiety, then you move to the next stage, which is that you've, yeah, you've been granted some temporary relief. But there's a problem, which is that if it's given you temporary relief, the next time you're out and this thought enters your head, you're going to resort to the same compulsion again, because it, last time it gave you temporary relief. So you're going to think, hold on, I'll just do that again. And then you'll get temporary relief. And so what you end up with is you end up with a situation where you are depending on your compulsion, which in this case might be checking to see if you're aroused or ruminating or whatever. You're relying on that as a way to reduce your levels of anxiety, which we know long term doesn't solve the problem. So if you look at this again with hand washing, for example, the trigger might be using a public toilet. The intrusive thought is something like, my hands are contaminated. Then you'll attach special meaning or belief to that thought, for example, because I think my hands are contaminated, that means that they are, or contamination is bad in some way. You know, there's, there's a, a qualitative element of belief being ascribed to the thought. And this will give you a feeling of anxiety, which will give you the behavioral urge to wash your hands. And if you then wash your hands and your anxiety comes down, you know, or let's say you wash your hands six times and your anxiety comes down, you, you are going to think in the future, oh, well, okay, the next time I feel anxious, I should wash my hands six times. You, you may not realize that this is what you're doing, but that is the pattern of thought that you're getting locked into. So that's what can happen. And, that, you know, that's obviously a dangerous position to be in. But that's what can happen if your compulsion works. But there is another option. And if you look at the diagram again, you'll see that coming off the compulsive behavior um, stage of the circle, which is at the bottom, there's two arrows, which one arrow points to temporary relief and then points back to the compulsive behavior, which is the scenario we've just discussed, where you get trapped in a cycle of compulsion, relief, compulsion, relief, compulsion, relief. But there's another option, which is that it doesn't diminish your anxiety and it skips that step entirely. But regardless, what happens is by enacting that compulsion, you stop yourself from testing or finding out, sort of fact-checking, the initial belief that you had. So that might have been a bit confusing. So now I'm going to look at a different type of OCD that might explain it a little bit better. So now let's look at checking OCD because, you know, we mentioned we were going to talk about different types and that's one of the more common ones. I've covered the, I guess, the sexual orientation OCD and contamination as well. So um, let's look at checking OCD. So the trigger might be you're out uh, and about and you, you, I don't know, Sometimes there isn't a trigger. Sometimes an intrusive thought just pops in. So let's just say that you, you know, you're walking around and you realize that you know the intrusive thought enters your head. Did I definitely lock my front door? So that's the thought. And the belief about that thought might be, if I haven't locked my front door, my house is going to get burgled. So now we're obsessively worrying over the possibility of someone breaking into our home. This gives us a feeling of unease. This gives us a behavioral urge. And that behavior might be to go home and double check that you lock the front door. So 
you drive all the way back and you get home and you check your front door and lo and behold, your front door is locked. Now again, in the scenario that this gives us temporary relief, we can we risk the danger of getting locked into a pattern where every time we get worried that we haven't locked the front door, we have to return home and evaluate that claim. And in the case that we evaluate it and the door is locked, we'll get some temporary relief. And then, you know, again, it's, it's a dangerous way of thinking because, you know, you could get stuck doing that every single time you leave the house, which does happen to people with this kind of OCD. Whereas what we need to happen is, you know, we just go, did I definitely lock the front door? And then we just go, yes, <laughs> because in all likelihood, we probably did. But as I said, there's another alternative here, which is that it doesn't, it ceases to give you any relief. So let's say you get home to check your front door and it isn't locked. That could send you off around this whole cycle again, because this will give rise to, you know, it'll jump straight from the compulsive behavior stage in the diagram all the way up to the belief stage in the diagram, because it will confirm in a way what you believe about your OCD or what you believe about your intrusive thoughts, I should say. So it will confirm to you beliefs that you don't know, you can't trust yourself to lock your door reliably. So you might have to, when you leave the house, enact a different compulsion to make sure that what you're afraid of and what you're, what's making you anxious never happens. So you will, I don't know, lock the door four or five times to really make sure that you've done it. And then this, if you know, you're not careful, could escalate and you might find yourself in a situation where you're checking all of the windows and all of the doors in the house before you're able to go outside. And and that's kind of, that's one of the more common uh, things that people with OCD can sometimes be seen doing, or this kind of OCD at least. And so what you're doing when you're enacting these compulsions is you're actually precluding yourself from the possibility of discovering whether or not all the terrible things that you believe are going to happen will actually happen. You're actually denying yourself the possibility of testing the initial hypothesis, the belief that you've formed. So let's look at contamination OCD uh, in regards to not being able to test the hypothesis. So let's say public toilet scenario. I have gone into a public toilet and come out, you know, even if I've washed my hands, I might think that's triggered my anxiety. I think that's a place where germs live. So I have this intrusive thought that I am now contaminated with some kind of life-threatening bacteria. And because of this, I believe that if I don't wash my hands, that that bacteria will, I don't know, end up killing me or someone I love. So this gives me a feeling of anxiety, which leads to a behavioral urge to wash my hands, which leads to a compulsion to wash my hands. But by washing my hands, even if I get any temporary relief from it, I'm still not testing that hypothesis. I'm just eradicating the possibility that it, that it will ever come to be. And of course, we know outside of COVID-19 era, <laughs> at least, you know, in a pre-COVID world, we know that simply using a public bathroom, provided one, you know, washes their hands after they've used it, which hopefully everyone does, <laughs> for my sake at least. Um, but you know, we know that that isn't actually going to kill you or, you know, you, you, there's nothing in a public bathroom that, well, again, pre-COVID-19, there was nothing in a bathroom that you could reasonably pick up that's going to kill you um, or someone you love or whatever. But by washing my hands, I'm giving in to that feeling of anxiety. And so I'm never able to find out 
for myself if what I believe is true. And of course, you wouldn't want to find that out if it was true, you know? You wouldn't want to go into a bathroom and go, oh, hang on, my clothes are contaminated with a deadly pathogen. And if you really believed that, you wouldn't be like, well, let's test that hypothesis. Because if you're correct and someone dies, <laughs> that's obviously not a favorable outcome for you. But this is the role that exposure plays in cognitive behavioral therapy. It involves, uh, in a way, kind of forcing yourself to, to make these tests and see, actually, I can use a public bathroom without anyone dying. And, you know, you can prove that to yourself. But by giving in to your compulsions, you're denying yourself the possibility of finding out. So if you look at the diagram I've drawn, when we get to the compulsive behavior stage, it'll either point upwards to temporary relief, which will then circle back down to the compulsion. Um, as in, you know, the scenario where one gets trapped doing the compulsion, or it'll point straight back up to the belief stage on the circle. In which case, I think it says, uh, actually, let me have a look. Yeah, it says never test belief. So, of course, to complete the circle as well, the temporary relief uh, stage in the cycle will also lead back up to the belief thing. And that's to indicate when the compulsions are, you know, that indicates when someone is done doing their compulsions, I think is, is, is the idea. So, um, you know, you feel like you've been contaminated, you have the compulsion to wash your hands, so you do that, and then you get some temporary relief, but you are locked in to the idea that washing your hands will give you relief so you do it again and again and again and again and again until your anxiety comes down at which point again because you haven't tested the belief in question by giving into your compulsions you're actually in a way you're actually you are testing it but you're confirming the belief to yourself you know you're not testing it in an actual scientific way you're just kind of making yourself believe that contagions or whatever your contamination fears you're making yourself believe that those things are true. Because if I believe that I'm contaminated and then I wash my hands to prevent that contamination, again, the next time I feel I'm contaminated, I'm going to believe that washing my hands is the correct way to proceed. And so in a sense, I'm confirming to myself the belief that I am contaminated in the first place. Because if I was able to let that go, that wouldn't be something I come to believe about myself every time I use, for example, a public bathroom. And, you know, I'm using public bathrooms as an example, but of course, as I've mentioned, the triggers could be lots of different things depending on your OCD. But it all follows the same pattern. So to kind of cap it off, maybe I'll just look at one more type of OCD. What have I done so far? So I've done sexual orientation, contamination, checking. What else have we got? What are some of the more common ones? I should point out that sexual orientation isn't listed as one of the um, the five most common OCDs but that's probably because it would come under the ruminative or intrusive thought OCD categories which is in the you know in the top five that OCD UK recognizes so yeah if you want just wondering what which one people would be most interested in um symmetry and ordering yeah maybe that's this yeah we could look at that one so symmetry and orderliness OCD is kind of characterized by the need for things to be kind of a certain way or like just right you know lined up in a certain way and this is actually it's one of the most kind of stereotypically associated forms of OCD like when people think about OCD they very often think that this is what it's like is this kind of you know obsessive um, neatness and kind of ordering of things 
And when I was at school, a really common thing that people used to say, well, not really common, but one of the things that people occasionally said that used to really upset me um, because it would irritate me was, you know, you'd see someone make sure that their pencils and stuff or whatever are in line with the edge of their desk and they'd be like, oh my God, I'm so OCD. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just straightening your pencils out (laughs) because there's people who do actually have symmetry and orderliness OCD for whom, you know, straightening the pencils against the edge of the desk that's just the tip of the iceberg for them and by just assuming that that's what OCD is like for everyone you're kind of it's kind of insulting a little bit in a way but I don't know um the obsessive fear associated with asymmetry or orderliness OCD might be um to ensure that everything is is ordered in a certain way in order to prevent um you know something bad from happening so this is often as well, you know, this is kind of like a magical belief thing. There's magical thinking involved here that if, I don't know, if all your CDs aren't in alphabetical order, you won't get that promotion at work or whatever. And um, and people, I should point out, everyone, I think, has that degree of magical thinking to some sense. There are like genuine examples, I think, that people without OCD exhibit this kind of thinking all the time that they think it's like, oh, if I can just do this one thing just right, then that will mean you know like there's that meme <laughs> there's a meme going around i see quite a lot at the moment where it's like a guy jogging and there's a car coming up behind him and he's like if i don't reach that tree before the car takes over me i'm going to die <laughs> and you know that and i kind of i kind of get what that's like as well you know like when you you just sort of make it like almost like your life's goal to achieve these really small things because in for some reason you've conflated them up to the, you know having these massive amounts of significance and people who have symmetry symmetry and orderliness uh, ocds they do they're doing exactly just that the trigger for someone in this scenario might be well it would be let's say it was alphabetizing your cds uh then the trigger would be obviously unalphabetized unalph well that's unalphabet unalphabet you know what I'm trying to say it would be that it would be having your CDs in a non-alphabetical order (laughs) let's say that and then the intrusive thought would be something like uh, those CDs aren't in alphabetical order and then the belief would be you know and that would be an intrusive thought in the sense that you wouldn't be able to let it go you'd be obsessing over it and then the belief would be if the CDs aren't in alphabetical order then something terrible is going to happen there's going to be an earthquake seems extreme but you know, that's is perfectly, uh, you know, normal form of OCD. So then that feeling will give you some kind of anxiety, uh, which give you a behavioral urge, which might be to reorder the CDs, maybe even once or twice, just to make absolutely sure. And then that's going to give you the compulsive behavior to alphabetize the CDs, at which stage we're either going to get some temporary relief until we might get locked into doing it again, uh, thus confirming our belief in a way confirming it to ourselves that if we don't alphabetize the cd that something bad's going to happen or we're not going to get any relief from it in which case we still confirming that belief to ourselves still going to feel the need to do that compulsion and we are preventing ourselves from testing that belief so in the case of someone alphabetizing their cds we know it's you know rationally and the person doing it might even know rationally deep down as it were on some level they do know that that is not the case and we know that if the CDs aren't in alphabetical order, an earthquake isn't going to happen or whatever. <laughs> um, but by putting them in alphabetical order before stopping and testing that belief, they're denying themselves the opportunity to find out that there isn't going to be an earthquake. 
And so what we need to do at this stage is recognize that we have this behavioral urge, not do the compulsion, and then we can look and see. I've, I felt the compulsion to alphabetize these CDs. I didn't, and now I'm waiting to see if an earthquake's going to happen. And then when we see that it doesn't, that's, that's the kind of exposure that we need to be doing um, to reduce uh, the strength of OCD in our lives. So I think that style of thinking, especially when it comes to, for example, asymmetry and orderliness, OCD, and this kind of magical thinking, that might seem a bit alien if you don't have OCD. It's more easily understood for people who don't have OCD, I think, when we look at something like contamination. Um, for example, you know, if I don't wash my hands, my dad's going to get sick. That makes me feel anxious, so I'm going to wash my hands. I get temporary relief, and then I start the whole thing again. Or I don't get the relief, in, and I don't test the hypothesis that if I don't wash my hands, my dad will get sick. Um, but there's this... Nevertheless, there is this general pattern... Um, to the thought process of OCD that that is, you know, that different kinds of OCD can be mapped onto, and so that's why that was kind of the motivation for today's episode was to do an episode, you know, where I talk circumstantially, I guess, or, or you know, like about different kinds of OCD, but but really I'm talking about this underlying pattern because because in a sense it doesn't really matter what the obsession is, um, because regardless, you know, the I mean it matters, but regardless, it's still it it goes around the same way. It all still goes around this kind of merry-go-round of belief, anxiety, urge, compulsion, relief, and then belief, anxiety. You know, it just keeps going around. It might not even necessarily be a clear cut at the feeling stage. It might not just be a feeling of anxiety. It could be a lot of things. It could be a feeling of disgust or just discomfort or anger even. You know, you know, there's panic. There's a lot of things it could be. Um, it's... It, typically will stem from anxiety some anxiety or some kind of worry that you have about that belief that you've formed which is why ocd is an anxiety disorder but it's not you know it's not kind of clear-cut like that and none of this is clear-cut even though we have got this really helpful diagram you know it's still a fascinatingly complex um illness (laughs) because you know human brains are very complicated so i hope that was interesting for people um yeah i talked a bit about a few different kinds of ocd again there's really an infinite amount because you could be obsessively concerned with almost anything well like yeah with anything really um i'd be interested kind of as the days go by given the current climate um to see if there's any kind of um environmental OCDs that people start to develop because people have been talking a lot about climate anxiety um, in the last few years and I think that's definitely I could easily see that being uh, something in fact actually I've met people who have similar things to that like um, they believe that if they don't recycle properly um, that that will make them a really bad person given the um, the you know the situation going on ecologically and so that will give them a feeling of distress and they might do things like obsessively uh, or compulsively I should say check to make sure that they haven't accidentally put something in the recycling that can't be recycled or vice versa you know that's that's I could see how that would fit into this diagram perfectly well um there's all there's all kinds of checking OCDs as well I mean I guess that yeah that would form under a kind of checking OCD but there's all kinds of checking OCDs that you get with checking to see that you haven't done something harmful so for example um you might check that you've disposed of 
something I don't know, like a bottle of bleach that's potentially hazardous. You know, when when you let's say let's say you've been doing some cleaning and you've used up a bottle of bleach, um, and you you go to throw away the bottle, or something flammable or something like that, you know, and you might suddenly get the fear that you hadn't disposed of it in the safest way possible, and so that gives you the belief that something bad will happen. You know, someone someone unseen further down the line at the recycling plant is going to go to pick up what they think is an empty bottle of bleach and accidentally get bleach on their hands. It's going to burn them or something. Oh, I don't know. You know, something along those lines. Or they pick up a, you know, they go and chuck a flammable can in a, in a, I don't, I don't know what they do with it actually when they <laughs> recycle it, but you know what I mean? And it, you know, it explodes and someone gets seriously injured. That might be, uh, yeah, again, that would be a sort of a checking OCD. So they, were, you know, people who have these kind of fears would end up checking. You know, have I absolutely made sure that I've gotten rid of the the hazard or perceived hazardous object in the correct way? And so, you know, that 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 will become the compulsion. Um, so really, yeah, I guess I guess what I was trying to say with this is that it, even though I said I would talk about the different kinds of OCD, um, there is kind of almost in a way there's no point doing that because regardless of the different kinds there'll always be this underlying pattern that it follows and that's how it's that's how we can identify it right like that's how we know that it's an obsessive compulsive disorder it's because it has this general pattern i guess some of the other more common ones just to mention just to give them a shout out we've talked about um sexual orientation ocd there's also other relationship ocds in general um so relationship ocd in a sense that i don't know you have upset your girlfriend or you know you've been a bad boyfriend or you've you've accidentally cheated on your partner without realizing it you know or something like that or you've crossed some line and again that can lead to a feeling of anxiety behavioral urgent blah 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 and so you might check in with your partner to see if they're angry at you or you might obsessively well, I should say compulsively I should say avoid interacting with other people in case you know you do something that your partner might perceive as cheating on them um i've seen people on the internet claim that flirting is cheating um, regardless of your opinion on that let's say that that was something you believed that flirting was a, a form of cheating and then you became obsessed with the idea that if you flirted with someone uh it would you know it would be upsetting for your partner so you this gives you a feeling of anxiety so you behaviorally you compulsively avoid talking to people of the opposite sex if you're heterosexual or same sex if you're homosexual or whatever you'll obsessively avoid doing that to make sure ah, said it again compulsively avoid doing that <laughs> to make sure that there's absolutely no possible way that you could have accidentally flirted with them and, and therefore upset your partner um so that would be a kind of a relationship ocd there's also pedophile ocd which is worth mentioning and i know that might be kind of shocking for a lot of people but that's a quite a common uh concern so this is the obsessive uh concern that you might be a pedophile essentially so an intrusive thought the trigger might be just i don't know you're walking down the street and you just see a child in the street the intrusive thought would be why did i look at that child even if you just did it you know they just accidentally glance at them you know does that mean i'm a pedophile and so the intrusive thought yeah again would be i am a pedophile you might have an intrusive image associated with that um which of course would be very distressing and so you might form the belief that that means you are a pedophile and then that will give you anxiety which give you the behavioral urge to prove that you're not a pedophile maybe in some way or a behavioral urge to do something you know to counteract that so you'll compulsively avoid children or you'll compulsively check to see if you're aroused when there's a children nearby 
uh, or you you know you'll do you'll you'll enact these compulsions to kind of try and disprove that hypothesis but as we've already seen that doesn't work long term because it doesn't disprove the hypothesis it actually proves it to your your because you're doing it so compulsively so obsessively you're force you're kind of ingraining it in your psychology and so you're sort of ending up actually in a way confirming it to yourself i'm not saying that it is confirmed of course none of this stuff actually means that the thing you're afraid of is going to happen if you have relationship ocd just and you and you think you might have accidentally flirted with someone that of course doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad spouse or partner or or whatever you know or if you have contamination ocd the belief that you're contaminated doesn't mean that you are contaminated it just doesn't work like that but by obsessively <laughs> by compulsively going through these motions you are in a sense you're sort of confirming it to yourself it doesn't i'm not saying you are actually making it true but you're kind of making yourself believe it more and more and more um whereas actually what you need to do is you need to test that belief so you need to not do the compulsions and then you'll see the thing you're afraid of didn't happen and this is why covid19 and you know and this is why um unraveling started this is why covid19 is so confusing for people with contamination ocd is because we have we are being told that we're not allowed to test our hypothesis that we're contaminated you know, because we, that would be irresponsible. You know, we have to stay indoors and socially distance and protect the NHS or whatever. And so by doing that, in a way, it's vindicating the belief that we had, the contamination OCD beliefs. So, of course, we're bound to get stuck doing our compulsions after there's been a global pandemic because now we're not allowed to do any of our exposure and we're not allowed to test these beliefs for ourselves so we so we in a way and that to someone with ocd that's as good as kind of confirming it so the government says there's a deadly pandemic you could be infected and so the person with contamination ocd goes well i probably am <laughs> you know and it's a really difficult and scary time and yet for some reason i still don't see anyone in the news bringing it up but i don't know maybe it's uh I think I guess it's just because it's a really difficult time for everyone for different reasons. You know, people are struggling financially or people's relationships are being tested or people's faith are being tested. Mental health, there's all kinds. Physical health. So, yeah, that's probably why. I guess no one's really going into the specifics of who is and who isn't suffering. But um, obviously as well, uh, racially, there's, you know, it's pretty upsetting to see that... Um, so many black and minority ethnic um, groups seem to be hit a lot worse by this pandemic. It's obviously very upsetting. And, um, yeah, continue to support the Black Lives Matter movement if you can. Um, I think in the last in the last episode, I did I put a link to the Stephen Lawrence Trust. Uh, I would still shout that charity out. Um, they're pretty good. I've been trying to buy literature on the subject as well um, from a place called New Beacon Books uh, because... They are a black-owned bookshop uh, where you can order books online, which is good. So you don't have to give money to Amazon or Waterstones or whatever. I am struggling to find books on there at the moment because they are pretty much sold out of everything because everyone is snapping up the resources, which is good. That's what you want. Obviously, you want people to buy the books. But um, yeah, I'm just keeping an eye on the website <laughs> until, uh, until some of the books come back into, into stock. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit. I think I'll wrap it up there. Hopefully that was interesting for people. Um, we've talked a bit about the different kinds of OCD and the general shape of it. Again, the diagram is there in the um, in the picture for this episode. Um, but if you can't see it there, you know, you ought to 
hopefully been able to find that online um or hopefully again you know my description of it was went into enough detail i'm pretty sure everyone who's listening to this at this point uh is friends with me or follows me on instagram and the pictures on there as well so <laughs> uh, and if not um well i guess it's a bit late now doesn't matter <laughs> not gonna not gonna obsess over it <laughs> all right well thank you for listening everyone i hope everyone's staying safe and uh do take care and i will see you next i would like to get onto more of a regular schedule with this i know i've been a bit kind of slack recently um and that's i mean that's mainly for personal reasons it's just been a bit of, you know it's a tough time as i've mentioned <laughs> but um and i'm also really lazy i mean i should 100 percent give that more credit <laughs> uh next time either going to do one on perfectionism or i'm going to do that identity and ocd one that i talked about earlier i'll probably do that next and then we'll do perfectionism the week after that and then i don't really know how many more i mean i have just said i want to do a schedule for it but i also don't really know how many more of these i'm gonna do so yeah um i'd probably you know it won't go on forever this because there's only i guess so much you can say about it um but there's still definitely, you know, there's, I've got a whole list on my phone of, of more topics to do. So there'll be a few more um, in the future and I would like to put them all on a regular schedule. So provisionally for now, I'm going to kind of say that they'll be out once a week. I'm going to say every Wednesday. Um, I'm not going to commit too firmly to that, but I'm going to try and get at least one out every week. So I'm sorry if um, if the lack of schedule has been confusing for people. Um so yeah, let's try it. I'll say once a week, every Wednesday. Um, and that, that gives me, um, a bit of time. Uh, I'm not, this will be out. When will this one be out? Actually, I think this one will be out on a Monday by the time it's edited. Maybe I should do it every Monday. I say Monday. I'm going to do it every, <laughs> every Monday from now on. I'm going to try and do one of these podcasts. So tune in next week, same time, whenever you're listening to this. And it should be out <laughs> by that point. A week from whenever you listen to this, there will be another episode out. <laughs> Unless you're really far in the future, in which case there could be loads. I don't know. I don't know when you're listening. To- I don't know who you are. Um, but, you know, regardless of who you are, but, you know, I hope you're enjoying this. And thank you for coming along on this journey with me. It means a lot. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. And um, I'll-, I'll see you next week. <laughs> okay, thanks everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>